and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. It's episode 25 and I'm recording this on the 9th of April 2020. Here in the UK, we've just reached the end of week three of the coronavirus lockdown and many other countries are either still in lockdown or preparing for it. Many sectors and companies are badly affected by the lack of demand and factory shutdowns, including the fashion sector. A new report by the Business of Fashion and McKinsey predicts that global fashion sales will fall by up to 30% this year. So many companies will be wondering what to do. And my guest today, Joff van Sonsbeek, has been at the forefront of the slow, sustainable fashion movement for over 15 years. Joff is the co-founder and CEO behind the direct-to-consumer women's wear brands Baukian and Isabella Oliver. We recorded this at the Baukian headquarters in London on the 13th of March, a week ahead of the UK lockdown. Some diary changes meant I had to record it on my Fairphone, which did a pretty good job. Having spotted a gap in the global market for stylish and high-quality maternity clothing whilst his wife was pregnant, Joff left his job at Shell International to set up Isabella Oliver back in 2003. In 2012, he expanded into non-maternity clothing, launching the contemporary women's wear brand Baukian, which is now the majority of the overall business. Baukian focuses on environmentally, ethically and socially conscious style for a sustainable future. It's working through the process of certification as a B Corp. We talk about how the two brands are building on their durable and timeless design ethos and evolving a range of circular practices. These include take-back schemes, resale and rental. Baukian's also switching to more sustainable fabrics, even moving away from organic cotton. We also discuss how consumer attitudes are changing, including the growing interest in fashion rental. Joff, perhaps we can start with a bit of background as to when Baukian started and how you came up with the idea, because it was quite a transition from what you were doing in a, in a previous career. Uh, that's absolutely true, Catherine. Um, it's really about 16 years ago, to be accurate, 17 years ago, when my, my wife was pregnant with her first son. And um, she came the idea that it was just not a good offering in the market. It was all cheap and hiding and it was all in stores. Um, and I just got dragged into it. Um, and we, about 16 years ago, we launched Isabella Oliver. It was the very first fashion vertical in the UK, so e-commerce only. And we really went there to say, um, this is for maternity wear, this is for pregnancy. 
this must be quality, not just quality of the product and how it's made, but also crucially the quality of the design, that we're designing for a garment that will last for many seasons and years and can and we will combine it with looks so we will give them looks but we sell them a capsule collection and to us success always was to sell maybe two three items and that's it mm -hmm. um, and in doing so you you would not have to spend the whole bank or break your bank on it uh, you know um, anecdotally i once spoke to uh, top five maternity wear players in the uk in, in europe and he was very proud, a big grin on his face, that he made more than 100% of his profits by selling the same item twice. It basically fell apart during a pregnancy. And it's a shocking reality of maternity wear sector that the vast majority of products out there are fast fashion in the mm. extreme. It's all about bad quality. It only has to last for about 26 weeks because that's what women wear it. Mm. And still a large part doesn't even get to that point. Mm. We did, out of interest, a survey with 2,000 women in the UK. Um, what we learned is they spend £700 on maternity wear on the first pregnancy. Wow. They buy, on average, shocking 21 items. We, on the other hand, say, and a lot of that doesn't even get to the end, we, on the mm. other hand, say, it's got to be quality, it's got to be few, and we'll give you plenty of ideas how you and someone else or your second pregnancy can keep wearing it. Mm. Okay. That's Isabella Oliver. Um, the problem about maternity wear is you're always on the first date. You need to find a customer, and if you really do a good job, you sell twice to her, and you know that's it. Mm. She moves on. Mm. Um, so about eight years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, we launched into Balkin, mm -hmm. which is women's wear brand, very much for uh, the 35 to 50 years age range, and uh, it had the beauty of lifetime value. You get a customer, and if you don't disappoint her, you will keep selling to her. Um, but it's absolutely based on the same shared values and lessons learned. It's mm. about quality. It's about not selling uh, here today, gone tomorrow, but uh, give them looks on how they can keep a style relevant over the seasons. So, you know, really talking about it, we were slow fashion right from the beginning. Yeah. That was in our DNA. It's just now it's also in the zeitgeist of where the sector is, and rightly so. Mm. And I think there is lots of interesting discussion at the moment and in fact I was asked to comment on something for Eco Textiles new News um, and we were struggling with how does big fast fashion get off that treadmill of having to sell more and make it cheaper and so on because they're under pressure to grow, grow the business um, and it's a difficult transition isn't it? I think it is easier for startups to come in with a different model that's all about customer relationships, customer satisfaction, quality product, really getting to know the customer and kind of edge fast fashion out of the way. But it's difficult to see how they would instantly change their their model because they're on this this treadmill that they've got to keep turning ever faster. It's a sugar rush mm. and it's a real problem um, and we all will struggle with in mm. the sector. Um, I think there is the advantage of consumer changing the movement coming through um, and there is definitely um, you know I, I had some interesting stats from uh, consulting from OCC OC and C um, and they were sharing that um, well a few facts first of all an average woman will buy from six to eight brands at any time mm -hmm. um, but they increasingly hired and fired brands faster than ever before because right. if there's anything they move on they're very fickle mm. however 
as the consumer is increasingly demanding true relevance and authenticity about what do you stand for and how do you act on it, um, in those cases, if they find a brand that meets those relevance requirements and purpose-led, action-led, not greenwashing, but action-led, mm. they're incredibly loyal. Mm. Um, my point here being is I think the customer is steadily changing and will vote by the wallet. I think the sector at large will increasingly realize this and be left behind. Yes. Uh, another very interesting stat in this context, also from OCNC doing a survey, uh, I think about 500 retailers across Europe, fashion retailers, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure it was fashion only. And they were concluding around sustainability that 76% of the CEOs felt that they needed a fundamental and imminent change to their sustainability strategy. That is a huge number. Mm. It just goes a long way to explain that the sector is realizing that this movement is not a trend. Yes, and I think we're seeing evidence that lots of the big brands are, uh, I'm not sure whether it is, genuine pilots for things like uh, rental and uh, return systems and so on, or whether it's just um, a bit of circular wash so they can get an announcement out there that makes everybody think that they're on the sustainability road um, and then these things will quietly slip away we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see i love circular wash as a word uh, and i'm allergic to it i mean mm. i think it's good if people start thinking in a way and doing their absolute best to make changes uh, very interesting and relevant to today um i read an article yesterday um about uh, coronavirus mm-hmm. and purpose-led and the question really was where the high street and all the sector, the fashion sector, was capable to afford um, efforts and bandwidth and resources to spend on social responsibility, sustainability, whether now under pressure of coronavirus, the vast majority will again retract and say mm. business as usual, it's all about profit. I think it will give you know the consumer a true insight into what was greenwashing and what is authentic. Yes, yes, I think you're right. And I think also there may be some other outcomes of people behaving differently due to coronavirus and in a hopeful way people might discover that staycations and buying less um, are actually quite good things to do that you know they have benefits that people hadn't anticipated so it could be interesting that people may change their spending habits afterwards it's Um, incredibly tragic mm, where we are yeah but never waste a crisis and I wouldn't be an entrepreneur if I'm thinking already how is this going to change us and the sector and how yeah. can we we do things structurally different going forward. Yes. And, and that's the real thing. I mean, we take people and we take whether that's our customers or our staff or our suppliers, we take them so serious. They're right in the heart of, of what we do. We mm. believe that deeply. But at the same time, what can we do to change the sector and, and how can we be profound change and, and push that through mm. and be a game changer? Yeah. So talking about the suppliers, are you still very vertically integrated or do you have a more global supply chain now? Um, well, just just quickly thinking, I think the only people where we outsource to are factories. Everything else we do in-house and we've always believed that we have better control of service and values if we control it in-house. Mm. Um, and of course I have couriers as third parties, but that's pretty much it. Um, and our factories, we have 22 of them um, at this point, 20 of them are in Portugal, one is elsewhere in Europe, and one is still in China. Um, but we know them. I, except China, I've been at every factory, and I speak to them frequently. And now, through COVID-19, I speak to 
the factories probably twice a week to check how you're taking care of your staff, are you mm. okay? And of course, slightly biased about you know my commercial interest, but I'm sincerely more interested in are they safe, are they fine, how are they doing? They're mm. largely family-led, um, often women-led, um, and we take that serious. Mm. Yeah, I think lots of companies are yet again finding out that they don't necessarily know the full extent of their supply chain and that you know their first or second tier of suppliers have actually subcontracted to other suppliers that they had no idea about it's um, shocking yeah so and, um, and ask people do you actually know where the base raw material came from mm, they would exactly yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a shocker yeah so again it might be one of the beneficial um outcomes so you um can we talk more about the circular aspects of your two brands absolutely then? Um, I think you know for us has always been um, central to what we did, and we, we believe that, as I mentioned before, that um, good business starts with good design. And when we talk about good design, we always meant to say that this meant this garment needs to last for longer. It's not a, a short rush. It needs to stay there. It's not the quality of the material, but it's also the quality of how we've designed it. And, and then subsequently, how we produce it, is it in the right place, is it nearshoring, do we know the people, Can have we looked them in the eyes, do we know about all the accreditations they have and the audits that are happening there, perhaps not through us because we can't afford that mm-hmm. level of auditing, but by proximity we know the factories and the quality of what we get. Uh, fairly well. So that side of the supply chain, um, design and production uh, is never good enough and we keep pushing the boundaries on different materials. Um, However hard it is, there's beautiful stuff coming through but commercially not yet exactly viable so we're dipping our toes in it. But if we look over the seasons we make a consistent change into more sustainably uh, sustainable garments or fabrics um, Mm. whether it's recycled or uh, less water usage or in any other way that we believe is better than the alternative to date Mm. Um, so could you give some examples of the fabrics that you're moving towards Yes, we well the Ecovere and the tensiles um, mm-hmm. that we all know that that should be fine. Uh, we've moved out of uh, cotton, and yes, mm-hmm. of course we had organic cotton, but organic cotton is still not as good as many other things. Mm. Um, I'll talk a minute, but we also um, looking into part of our circle approach that we're working very closely with our largest factory in Portugal, um, and they actually have a, a patent pending where they are capable to mechanically recycle any fabric. So not chemically recycling, Mm -hmm. but mechanically recycling. Um, And we are their partners from a brand point of view um, to do a proof of concept and to scale it up. And the point here is that as we will supply them with recyclable garments, um, short from the rivets, the buttons and the zips, anything goes. And they manage to get it to a high quality fiber of about an inch, which is unheard of in mechanical recycling to date. Mm. And if you get that level of fiber, you can make a uh, nice yarn and you make yeah. a quality fabric. So that's one area where we look at. It will mean that you get a mix. It's basically totally recycled yes. fabric and you know by analysis what's roughly in it. Um, mm. But there's a lot of recycled polyester and plastic in it. Yeah. So we take that serious and that's definitely part of our vision of circularity. Um, be it that recycling is you know, really the last bit we want to do. Yes. But once we get that, that's what we're going to do with it. Um, but we keep looking at alternatives for leather. Um, you know, there are 
vegan leathers that are very friendly, not the plastics, but they're mm. made from wines, they're made from lotus leaves, there are many areas. Yeah, mango and we, skins. And mango skins, yeah, and it's a, it's, there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, the problem is almost it's too much, mm. and you you can't, we're not big enough to bet on all of them. So in this area, we often want to just be a fast follower, to just see what works with others at scale or sufficient scale, and then we jump on it. Mm. Okay. Um, but I think one other key bit for us, production is one, and I think never good enough, but we're probably in the top 5% of where we can be. And uh, I know this partly because we work with Anthesis, which is a well-known um, uh, sustainability consultancy, yes. um, and they do some of the assurances for us to to help us um, to get this right. And they do this proteo, i got to be very honest, because they believe in the circular model we're putting here is uh, potentially, in their words, a game changer. Mm. Um, but it's not just the production and the design. We, in our last 16 years, have not once overproduced a garment. We've not once thrown away garments. We design, uh, so we produce in relatively small batches and have constant batches in production coming our way. Right. So it's very short lead times. It's almost just in time. Mm. And in doing so, um, we have no surplus stock. Mm. And if we have the odd ones left or faulty items, they will go to end-user charities, like, you know, there is an range of them, but like Smartworks or Every Mother Counts, and a mm. couple of them that we have been using over the years for that. So overproduction, yeah, that's huge really issue. Interesting. And I think it's just never been an issue for us. The overproduction is still largely a hidden issue in Incredible. terms of fashion industry waste. An awful lot of the focus in the media is on what consumers are either leaving in the back of the wardrobes or sending to landfill. Um, and there was some exposure, wasn't there, with uh, Burberry, um, you know, burning all that, not the only all that waste. Um, or not waste, but um, unused stock. Um, and the whole, the whole model of the fashion industry about, you know, pushing um, product down the supply chain just... You know, can't can't work at, uh, no. in a, in an effective way. We're looking at systemic change. Mm. We must change the sector. It's it's. We don't need to go into the details on mm. how unsustainable it is. Mm. It's got to change. And we truly believe that there is a complete alternative model that works commercially of interest to everyone. That has a social responsible angle, and that is at least. A, an active journey towards the most sustainable possible solution for for the for the sector mm. as it is, um, and that's what we refer back to our model, um, talking about the designs and the production and the overproduction. If I continue a little bit further, mm. um, we take also very serious on how you take care of the garments. Um, general public and really me too until to date was aware that it was probably not good enough. Um, but we're all overwashing, we're all using the wrong detergents. In doing so, there's about 50 billion equivalents of 50 billion plastic bottles released into the oceans every year in microfiber. Mm. And we take that serious too. There is an alternative way of solving this. And one of the projects we have launched is that we bring a QR code to the care label of our garments. Mm -hmm. And the QR code, in partnership with the uh, laundress from Unilever, which will provide us all the content uh, for this, as well as the product, and all the products are biodegradable, and, and basically their message is, don't wash, or do you really need to wash, and have you thought about doing it this way? Mm. Which is a fantastic shaming technique to washing, if you like, but in an educational, friendly, not, not really kind of telling them off way, mm. we hope that we can teach customers increasingly that there is another way of washing. And if you wash less and better, 
the garments will last longer and the environment will be less damaged mm. so there's really double bill why we should be doing this mm. and on that same opportunity with the qr code we teach them on how to mend the garments if they're right. broken or what to do if you don't want it anymore if there needs to be a second life so it mm. gives a, a total unique channel to the customer to communicate about the topics that are close to our heart mm, that's that's really interesting and in terms of what to do with it when you've finished or you no longer want it what kind of options might the customer see well indeed uh, we have actively launched some new initiatives in this area uh, somewhere already happening particularly in isabella oliver um, and what i'll explain now it applies absolutely to two brands to mm -hmm. both brands um, but I will particularly, because there is a reality, we're focusing it right now more on a maternity wear brand. And simply put, because it's a millennial X, uh, Gen Z kind of sector, you're, mm. you're pregnant. It's a global $6 billion market, which is horribly bad service, as I mentioned before. Mm. Basically, fast fashion and extreme, it can be done very different. And we feel that there is an alternative way of tackling that. Um, bit of reality. We already know that pregnant women, when they no longer use the garments, they may, if we're lucky, pass the garments on to someone else. And mm -hmm. that's a gray market, a secondary market. And it's great to see that we are always overrepresented in that what we call hand-me-down bag or pass the parcel, mm -hmm. because it goes a long way for the quality. But it's inherently inefficient, because it's not your size or your style, mm -hmm. what you get. Uh, but good, it's not going to landfill. So very simple, we celebrate that. We've launched a social media campaign which is supported by um, previous customers, including celebrities and influencers that said, listen, this is what I do with my bag. I give it to my friend. Um, and we try to encapsulate it and hopefully we bring to the forefront that it's perfectly okay mm. to pass things on. Yeah. But again, it's inefficient from a garment point of view. Instead, we've also launched a few other initiatives. We've said, and this is a really bold statement, to the UK customers. And there is a reality, we have to launch this very carefully because, my God, it could become a real problem. But then I say, that's a good problem. Uh, we've offered to pregnant women in the UK as a blanket offer, agnostic of which brand, if you have maternity wear left that you don't need anymore and you don't immediately have a solution for it, then please let us have a radically different way of repurposing and recycling it so it's good for the environment. And by the way, any profits we'll make on this side of the business will share one-on-one -on -one with a charity. Mm -hmm. So there's also a real social reason to mm. do this. And we'll also give them a voucher for our Balky brand. So, you know, if mm. the first two arguments are not good enough, then maybe the voucher will help. We even come and pick it up from their home. Wow. And that's an enormous and that, thing. And I'm and saying that could be a problem. for any brand, not... Any brand. Wow. Any brand once in their life, because if you're no longer pregnant, you only mm. need to do this once. Yeah. And we've tested this uh, since about November last year, and it's just fascinating what we get back. Uh, mm. You know, first of all, you really can tell that the vast majority has bought crap. They bring back 20 items, and I can see the stats from my survey mm. coming back. Yeah, that's about 700 pounds, and it's all in a bad condition. Mm. Um, but some of them have been good customers, and they return quality items, and you can really see. Now, what do we do with the garments? We triage them quickly. Mm -hmm. um, simple thing, many people unfortunately cut out a care label and then there's little we can do anymore. Mm. But if it is good enough and it has a care label, then we, in an eco-friendly way, clean it, we shoot it and we bring it on our website as pre-loved. Mm -hmm. So now we feel a customer 
must and should always buy quality. That's a point. We cannot yeah. afford in this world to accept inferior quality that doesn't last. We cannot fuel the sector or the industry to say we can keep producing it. We must only produce quality. And by doing this, say you can buy at full price mm-hmm. or you can buy secondhand, mm-hmm. uh, well curated, nicely cleaned, beautifully packaged, largely our brand, I have to say, but that is more by the quality coming back. Mm. But other brands too. If it's not good enough, but good, we use our end user charities and mm-hmm. they get it from us. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority, regretfully, is still not good enough. Mm-hmm. And then we have our factory in Portugal and we use it as base material to recycle it down to fibers, yarns and fabrics. Mm-hmm. So we really created a circle here um, de facto hoovering out of the market a problem. Mm. I mean, ironically, my GHD G scope three is going through the roof from negativity, but of course I'm doing the right thing here. So yes. I'll see through that. Um, but this is the right thing to do. Yes. And in terms of the feedback to the customer, I'm thinking about how to encourage them to make the right quality choices in the future, you know, not related to maternity wear. Do they get any feedback to say, you sent us 20 garments, three of them were high quality and um, we've been able to resell those. Um, so you may have paid X for them. We've got X minus a little bit for the, the resale. The rest of it wasn't good enough quality and we've had to recycle it. So that's actually been a cost. Is there any way of giving customers some sort of feedback on that that helps them think, oh, you know, if I, if I've, if this much has been recovered from the high quality stuff, maybe that's the way to go in the future. It's, it's a good thought. We haven't thought about doing this on an individual basis, but we are tracking the data in great detail mm-hmm. because the uh, at the macro level, what does the data tell us is mm. information we can play back. We can just reiterate what the survey already said. Customers spend a lot on a lot of items that mm. don't even last till the end. So basically, wrong, wrong, wrong. There is an alternative way of doing it. And this data is massively going to support that. Yeah. So now we're getting to a complete circle and all our projects are ramping up. The next step is to really start getting the message out in a loud and clear way. Because it, the biggest problem we will have is not the imagination on how we can solve and what different way of commercial models are um, and getting the projects off the ground. But the biggest problem will be how do I get the consumer to see that this is a brilliant idea and mm. a way forward from a supply side? Yeah. Um, here's my old garments. Mm-hmm. And from a demand side, there's no problem buying secondhand. Mm. And that, unfortunately, is a function of time and funds. Mm. And we don't have enough resources, so we can only go as fast as we can afford to push. Mm. One more point. So we now offer the customer full price quality second-hand price quality but we also launched rental right very much recognizing that uh, customers uh, for special occasions want to rent um, but also in a Balkan brand surveys are overwhelming one in three wants to rent from us certain items and I can see this changing mm. so we're rolling that out too and the next step uh, hopefully in the next month and a half we have some technical issues is for us really the end game. We're launching subscription model for maternity wear. Why can't you just subscribe to maternity Mm. wear? And in doing so, we need to get over the idea that you own something. Why can't you just share things? Yes. 
and on the podcast a few episodes ago I was talking to Eve Keke of Bundley and she set up a subscription model for babywear and she had a, a slightly similar um, issue to you in that what was available on the market wasn't wasn't good enough so she had to get her own stuff um, made and create her own vertical supply chain yeah. to ensure that the quality of the baby wear um, you know which has got to last even less time than, than a maternity wear almost because they grow so fast um, was going to be good enough to, to be reused um, and it's an unacceptable problem yeah and, and really uh, call me um, uh, an activist uh, but I feel that this message is exactly what we need to get out there mm. that it's unacceptable and there is a perfectly acceptable friendly uh, fit for purpose solution here that mm. we just need to step over our mental block and say this is fine unfortunately that you know gen z's and the millennials they really can see this and they're adopting this much faster mm. but i'm encouraged to see that my slightly older customer and i'm talking only slightly older and um, millennials uh, plus um, on the Bauke brand, they're absolutely giving all the indications that they too want to, re- they do recycling already, we accept that already, send it back, mm. um, but also the rental bit. And I think this is the future. Yes. Uh, definitely maternity, definitely on a global level, six billion market. Mm. We need to shift the, the, the model and say this becomes a sharing model, a subscription, rental, secondhand, and a bit of new. Mm. And to help make that work, have you moved away from the kind of multiple seasons issue and the you know how do you get around the the trends in colors and shapes and so on it's a very good question um it, it's a very I, I mentioned earlier we are a fashion vertical which means that right at the beginning i didn't mind about retailers i just went what made sense to me e-commerce and particularly in isabella oliver we always went out to say this garment is for years to go it's always new to the customer mm. so as long as I design it in a classic uh, beautiful quality good fit and I give her looks then the looks I can make seasonal and I can keep changing them but the garment has longevity it really lasts for very long now we're also in a couple of retailers and it's frustrating to see that retailers still have that mindset oh but I need new season I, I have seen this style I need something new and so well it's going to be your bestseller because I'm telling you it's going to be a bestseller. Why we need new? It's just not needed. The sector, we got to get over this idea. Mm. And I guess th- there's just this, how do you break the link between the big marketing push that tells people that they need the latest colour, the latest shape, and and this kind of, you know, um, the, it's, it's manipulation, isn't it, really? But we're all... Uh, susceptible to it so I think that's that's the difficulty in getting people to think differently about their purchases seems to be the key to it but the good news is there are lots of surveys saying that you know customers expect business to be doing the right thing and are shocked to find out when they're when they're not and so maybe this will help people question you know why why am I getting this message about you know I need to look like this celebrity or um, choose this colour this season, otherwise I don't, um, you know, look on trend, or I don't, I don't look as if I've, um, I'm we, part of a tribe. <laughs> we, uh, well, actually, we would call us a tribe, but mm. but that to decide. Um, 
um, I think you know customers want a sense of well-being. They want this rush of buying and seeing something, and I totally see that. It doesn't need to be new. It can be you can enhance that rush mm. by just getting rental or subscription more often if you like. And I think there is a reality. Um, you know, it's a big problem. The sector needs to change. There's a role for the government. Um, but do I sit here and be quiet? Or, you know, like Satra said, you know, that's acting in bad be in, 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 in bad conscience. You need to make a change, irrespective of whether you think you're too small or not. And I believe we have a model that works, that definitely already resonates with the customers. And I will keep shouting about it. And every day, it's a new customer, it's one step forward, and that's how we're going to change it. And I'm open-minded. I hope that people follow our lead. I hope that people use that technology and almost like an open source adopt it. Because the more that join us in a collaborative way, the better it is for, for the sector. Mm, excellent. So in terms of uh, allowing people to follow your lead, what would your top tip be for a startup or, a, or an existing business wanting to go more circular? Well. I think a key bit is it is a journey. You you can't say um, you know you can't measure yourself immediately. Say this is my end game and I'm here immediately and I'm not I'm going to be dogmatic and I'm not going to change. It is a mindset and you go on a journey and bring your suppliers, your customers, and your team with you. You'll be amazed how inspired they are by it and on fire because of your cause. Um, and absolutely collaborate. If you want to make change, you need to work with the people that too want to make change or that are wanting to listen to what a change is possible and how it works. So this is not on your own. This is a movement and, and you just need to be taking everyone with you on that trip. Fantastic. That sounds like excellent advice for anybody in any sector wanting to... I, yeah, we should do much on. more of that. It, it doesn't happen a lot. Yes. So, Joff... Um, who would you recommend as a future guest for the podcast? Um, okay. Um, I think I would definitely recommend Susan Harris mm-hmm. from Anthesis, who are excellent global sustainability consultants. They've been around well before this became in the zeitgeist. And she really knows about circular economies and circular fashion in specific. Mm. And I think it's not the usual recommendation. It's not like another company. Uh, but she would have be a richness of information on what is happening out there. And, and I hope that those examples will inspire people to, to be imaginative and, and go on that journey. Mm. Um, if I were to talk about a product, um, a good friend of mine set up a company called Natura, which is all about the most fantastic, uh, well-sourced, radically different, uh, better integrated with the supply chain. They know every little farmer in detail. Um, but it's all about food and ve- uh, vegetables and green and fruit. Um, and fantastic to see how he is on an, on a radical shift uh, trying to change the world. And, and I, I love it every time. I'm following him on Instagram and it's just inspiring. Excellent. Uh, and it would be really good to have a food example because they've uh, not featured well so far. And I know Susan, so it'll be easy to follow up on that recommendation too. I'd love to hear it. Joff, if people want to find out more about Baukian and Isabella Oliver, how can they get in touch or look you up? Well, obviously, go online at baukian.com, isabellaoliver.com, or follow us on social media, on all the known platforms. Um, but particularly probably go to LinkedIn. Uh, we all in the business world particularly are on LinkedIn. Um, go there, find us, follow me, uh, all of that. 
Excellent. And I'll put all those links in the show notes so people can look up the correct spelling and so on. Thank you, Catherine. Josh, thank you very much for sharing all that information about uh, Baukian and Isabella Oliver. I think there are lots of interesting lessons in there for anybody wanting to take their business in a more circular direction. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. I was struck by the wide range of sustainability initiatives that Joff and the teams at Baukian and Isabella Oliver are involved in. For a relatively small company, they're innovating in lots of areas and, as Joff said, building a movement for change with their supply chain partners. Baukian is proving that people are happier with beautiful, well-designed and high-quality garments. People want clothes that fit well, look good and are made to last. Slow, sustainable clothing instead of fast and forgettable. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet, at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. Thank you.